Hail and well met, Frontier Partisans. Welcome to the campfire. This episode, we're going to take a, a few minutes to explore the, the life and adventures of uh, one of the more eccentric hunters in uh, Frontier Southern Africa. Uh, not a man of, of great imp- impact and importance like uh, Frederick Courtney Salou, nor, uh, nor even Conrad Device. Uh, but he's kind of an illustration of this wayward breed of men that, uh, that hunted in the Southern African interior in the middle part of the 19th century. And his name was Johannes Lodovicus Lee, otherwise known as John Lee. And he was the son of a British naval officer and a Dutch Boer woman who was a relative of uh, the man who would become president of the Transvaal, uh, Paul Kruger. And uh, Lee fought in several of the, uh, the Cape Wars in the, uh, the early middle part of the 19th century and then headed off to the interior to hunt for a living. And uh, most of the information that I have on him comes from TV Bullpen's delightful narrative history to the banks of the Zambezi. And uh, he describes... Lee's career, which can only be described as, as eccentric, um, everything about him and it, um, but it was a highly successful career. He's one of the very few African hunters who actually made a pretty good fortune out of uh, ivory hunting. So after fighting in the frontier wars, Lee wandered in 1862 up into the country that had recently been occupied by the great warrior king Mzilikazi and his Ndbele people who had broken off from the Zulu back in the 1830s. And uh, Lee was there to hunt elephants. He managed to strike up a, uh, a pretty cordial relationship with Mzilikazi who Uh, gave him permission not only to hunt in Ndebele territory, but also to actually take up a permanent residence there. And uh, so Lee established a a farm, although he wasn't really much of a farmer. It was mainly a headquarters for him to uh, uh, use for his hunting expeditions. The legend has it that Mzilikazi granted him as much ground as he could cover riding on horseback for one and a quarter hours in each direction of the compass, as Bullpen described it. And uh, Lee was a a canny fellow and uh, more than a little bit slippery. And he didn't just ride this this course on some backcountry scrub. He sent down to the Transvaal for the best galloper he could find and uh, rode hard. And according to the legend, he was able to to close off 
200 square miles for his his farm, which uh, sort of of pissed in Bailey off, but uh, you know a deal's a deal, and and uh, so he ended up with this gigantic farm out in the in the bush. It's hard to say whether that's actually what happened. That's a you know classic sort of of tall tale, but on the other side, these kinds of of incidents occurred. Time and time again in frontier history, um, a perfect example being the famous or infamous walking purchase in Pennsylvania in the early 18th century when a, uh, a large tract of land belonging to the Lenape or the Delaware was, uh, was paced off uh, sort of in the in the letter of the law, but violating the spirit of the law by a relay of, of men walking as, uh, as far and fast as they could, actually running as far and fast as they could to, uh, to cover as much ground as possible. So uh, the tall tale may actually have basis in fact. In any case, um, Lee had established himself a headquarters in the prime hunting territory of the and Bailey years before Frederick Courtney Salou showed up to hunt elephants. So Lee was was there when the elephant hunting was was at its at its best and was able to take advantage of that. And as Bullpen notes, um, he built quite a an abode there for his headquarters. This is from To the Banks of the Zambezi. On this colossal farm, Lee built a commodious house of granite fragments cemented by mud and with the luxury of glass windows and a wide veranda. To avoid the termites, Lee followed local African custom and built the house on a granite outcrop whose rounded summit just protruded above the surface. This certainly eliminated all termite problems, but it gave him a rambling type of home with some rooms up and others down, and all provided with a stone floor, which sloped so steeply that it was said that anyone removing their teeth at night and placing them beneath the bed would immediately hear the dentures slide away into the darkness. So this was a very, very eccentric house, and it was known as Lee's Castle. And uh, it was located uh, basically on the road north from the Transvaal, so missionaries or, or traders or hunters entering the territory uh, would usually stay there, and uh, it became quite a, a landmark. And Lee was just as eccentric as his house. He filled that uh, his castle with children, uh, with a, a boar wife, um, he was not a faithful husband by any stretch of the imagination. But his, his women weren't faithful to him either. Again, we'll, uh, we'll just rely on Bullpen for the details. Lee's wife, formerly a Miss Louisa Van Vyck, was a hardy frontierswoman who, with the aid only of a Bible, struggled to educate eight unruly children. She eventually died in 1870 while giving birth to her ninth child. She was alone at the time, her husband having vanished with another woman who had already produced three of his illegitimate offspring. Ah, oh, but it gets better from here. Lee returned to find his wife buried at Mangue and his brood of children running as wild as the bush. To look after them, he married a second wife, Jacoba Van Ruyen, 
the younger sister of a well-known hunter, Cornelius Van Ruyen. This girl, a kindly little soul, spent her days at Mangue trying to cope with Lee's nine original children, together with five more which he fathered with her. Eventually, Lee deserted her and removed south with another lady love. When he returned, Jacoba ran away with a hunter. The man beat her, so she returned to Mangue. There, Lee divided the property with her. She promptly ran off with another man. I don't know why it is, but but the sh the sheer waywardness of these folks. This is so transgressive for the Victorian era, and the sheer waywardness of these people living off in in the bush just is is fascinating to me. Um, it was a wild life, and and like Conrad uh, Device, he he seemed to sort of, of lead the, the life of, uh, of an ancient warlord out there in, in the bush with a harem of, of women and, and a whole tribe of, of children. I don't know what became of this horde of kids that he had, other than that uh, Bulpen reports that uh, one of his children, uh, a youngster named Hans, became a well-respected and successful hunter and guide in his own right. So, Lee was definitely a, an eccentric man and a wayward character, but, uh, but he was a very, very successful hunter, as I mentioned at the top. Um, in the middle of the 19th century, as we were, um, as we are here, the hunters were using muzzle-loading firearms, I mentioned this in the in the podcast on Frederick Courtney Salou. They were known as a roar, and that's R O E R, and uh, they were a very large caliber, sometimes an inch or more in diameter. Generally, a smooth bore, and uh, by the time of of Lee's hunting exploits, they would have been uh, percussion ignition. But a single-shot muzzle loader throwing a, a big, heavy ball—that was the the most power you could generate with uh, black powder arms at that time. And uh, this would be the 1860s into the 1870s, which was uh, just seeing the transition into cartridge arms. And uh, you couldn't build a, a breech-loading cartridge arm that was powerful enough to deal with elephants and, and, and truly big, dangerous game just yet. That was coming very shortly. So he was hunting with these, these muzzle-loading roars, and there's a, a picture of him that uh, I'll post on, on Frontier Partisans. I've posted it there before, and I'll, I'll repost it with uh, the uh, announcement of this episode where he's sitting um, in his, uh, his old age, with his roar across his lap, and they're just these big, beefy weapons that uh, that kicked hard and and hit hard, and uh, and Lee looks like some kind of a of a character you might see in J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, this sort of of, of gnomish man. Um, it's a little bit difficult to see in him the intrepid hunter and uh and profligate uh 
merrier of women and sirer of children that he was. Um, he, he just looks like sort of a, a gnome, gnomish old man, but uh, but he was something else in his prime. And one of the, the more interesting of the old Boer hunters of the age. And I just couldn't, uh, couldn't let our sojourn in Africa pass without talking about him just a little bit. I just get a kick out of that story. I would love to see that rambling, weird castle that he built there in what is now Zimbabwe. Um, when Bolpin was writing, the ruins of it were still visible. I, I wonder if there's still anything left. Hard to say. But uh, anyway, just a small side trail, really, and uh, a bit of fun to, uh, to pass the time around the campfire until our next episode, which features the great American scout, Frederick Russell Burnham. So working on that podcast and uh, should have that up in, in fairly short order. So we'll see you down the trail.